Okay, we're going to be in Luke chapter 6 as we're finishing up our part 2 series of chapter 6 titled, See What the Lord Can Do. And what chapter 6 in the beginning was is that we covered verses 1 through 19, which covered a majority of the abilities of our Lord and His healing abilities. And again, what I like about Luke's gospel was... The fact that he did add so much diversity of our Lord in there. And, and Luke, being a physician again, as I've mentioned and will continue to mention, really put a lot of emphasis on the healing aspects. Luke, being a doctor himself, was probably very fascinated on what the Lord could do in the forms of healing somebody on the spot from, from diseases that were basically... Uh, death sentences, if you will. And and so, in chapter 6, he covered, in those verses, a majority of the healings and so on of what the Lord did, but he also covered some of the opposition that he went through in his ministry. And the opposition he went through, it was in regards to the Jewish leaders of the Pharisees. And the things that he was having issues with was their issues. Their issues with what he did on the Sabbath. And in their eyes, he was doing something on the Sabbath he shouldn't. But, see, our Lord... Has set them straight. And he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't do anything wrong from the laws. He didn't do anything wrong, period. But in their eyes, they didn't like what they were seeing. Regardless of his abilities, which should have caught their eye. Now, in our Lord here, what we, what we were going to see in his works coming up here was he took care of a lot of the healing. Luke documented the issues of, uh, that he had in the ministry, but he also documented the healing abilities. But now, throughout the rest of the chapter in this part two series, we're going to be looking at the beginning of what's called the Beatitudes. And man, I tell you, reading this, again, is a life changer. There is so much that the Lord says that really just puts into perspective things that we never, never would have thought on our own. And I tell you, I, I hope that you'll follow along because, again, this was really quite a wake-up call, even for myself. You know, one who has studied the Gospels, it doesn't really do much to you until you have to teach it. And when you are teaching it, there's a requirement in order to be doing what it is you're teaching. And, and so, there is conviction involved. There is things involved in regards to what we see here and what the Lord says, that when we look at what He says, we think to ourselves, how far away am I from Him? Well, after reading this, I'm hoping that we won't be saying how far we are from Him, but we'll be able to say, man, have I ever grown closer to Him? And so it was really, again, quite a challenge. It was quite a blessing. It was, quite, it was so many things in sitting down to study this particular chapter and then on top of it being able to teach it is, again, is a life-changing thing. This is beyond a good read. This is beyond something that is just for the sake of, of self-help, if you will. This is a life-changing thing that, that Luke gives us from the words of our Lord. And so we're going to be looking again at some deep things. We're going to be looking at some rich things, the Beatitudes, right? The good news, the teachings of our Lord. And again, the, the most, some of the most amazing things. It, it's the wisdom, the, the knowledge, the, the, the blessings that comes from all of this is, is again just 
such a peaceful and such a wonderful thing to observe. And more than anything, when you're able to accomplish doing what is being said, you will see that the Lord's accuracy was 100%. So let's get started in verses. We're going to be starting off in verses 20. And we're going to be looking at uh, the beginning here, verses 20 to 26. And it says, And then he lifted his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and cast out your name as evil. For the Son of Man's sake, rejoice in that day, and leap for joy. For indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all men speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets." In this part two section of chapter six, again, we're, we're covering now the teaching and instruction of Christ, the Beatitudes, as I mentioned. And these Beatitudes are like the exception in the rule of discipleship training. The manual of being a follower of Christ. And with any instruction, there's the good side and then there's the bad side. And the, the Lord gives complete truth to all things. And in that, he uses blessed or Woe to you. <laughs> so, and if you hear woe, that is a very serious danger to the one that woe is said to. But the Lord, you know, he speaks directly to, uh, to right now the poor and the rich. And, and over time, many have said the Lord was referring to um, that of the physical aspects versus uh, others. And others would say that it was the spiritual aspects. Well, may we see both aspects for the sake of covering all grounds both the physical and the spiritual see the lord through all the bible god himself has had such a special place in his heart for the poor you know the physical and the spiritual he addresses both as in matthew chapter 5 he speaks of the poor in spirit which we can see where luke is going as well because in, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. But Christ said in the Gospels that God, that God provides for the birds of the air. Okay, how much more important are you? And how true is that? Okay, us being mankind, which is the apex of his creation on earth. And most of all, being those who have the full capacity of making known God and his glory and provisions to all people. Why wouldn't he take care of his creation, of us being people, and especially those who follow him? But when we see blessed is the poor in spirit, and those who hunger are those who hunger for the Lord and his righteousness. Okay, Being poor requires a reliance, and that in spirit will allow us to rely on God for the lack of spiritual needs. It's amazing how some of the poorest nations, financially, have such a rich relationship with Christ, as they rely solely on Him for His spiritual fulfillment. And now, on the downfall of the rich. Now, is there wrong in richness and having wealth? Well, no. But when it starts to have you, 
Then the problems arise. See, many times riches have changed and destroyed many. And even when one thinks uh, that they're rich in spirit more than others, then they no longer rely on the Lord because they've got what they wanted. Okay, wealth and popularity of sorts. But, you know, popularity is no guarantee of truth. Prosperity is no guarantee of safety. Those who have experienced all of these things can attest to the pains of losing money or popularity, being disliked once, once, uh, when once loved by many, and when we chase after these, uh, things of praise of others, we will know the pains of not chasing God's truth instead. See, the world's values, they're always temporary. Uh, the rich will no longer be rich. Popular ones will not be the center of attention one day. And so the Lord covers those bases and the warnings of such. I have heard from some people who were very wealthy. And their aspect is, is that they feel that there's no concept of fulfillment because once they have accomplished a particular goal, their purpose is now no longer intact because now what are we going to do? There's no absolutely no contentment in life. And this was out of the actual mouths of those who were very wealthy. I myself cannot, um, you know, experience that, but they, they've experienced things, and once they've acquired it, it's not good enough. Something next has to be accomplished or conquered. And once that does not happen, then the forms of depression comes in. So really, when, when Christ says, you know, the, the, indeed you might be rich, but in the depths you're very poor. And so they don't realize that because they're looking at a physical aspect. But when you look at the truth of the matter... How, how true it is in what our Lord said. Do you really even know who your true friends and family are when you are extremely wealthy? See, people either love you or they want to be around you because of what you have or they hate you because of what you have. And that's the way of the world, but not the way of our Lord. And as we observe now in verses 27, we're going to be looking at 27 uh, to 36, the Lord keeps hitting just a little harder with things. He says here, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you... What credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. And in the Lord's teaching to many, this again, hard, hard to follow. Especially to love your enemy. Uh, to bless those who curse you. 
These are not easy to do. Uh, many of the world's teachings, uh, you know, they teach as an eye for an eye. They teach that nice guys always finish last. But again, the world was corrupt. And Christ was the perfect example of salt and light. Salt was used to preserve things such as food back then. When someone, uh, when someone was to be salt of the earth, it was a process of, of or a saying to be a pre- uh, preserver of the earth. Uh, the Jews in this day did not care for, um, for Romans because of the oppression that they inflicted. So I'm sure this was not taken well to the Jewish community. It, was, it wasn't a matter of affection toward an enemy, but it was a will to love an enemy. And I'm using the, the Jews and the Roman soldiers as an example, because there was not a love between the two. But the teaching continued with the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 20. It says, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Now, a lot of kids, including myself, being when I was younger, you know, you hear that. That sounds more like a vengeful thing to some, right? Oh, great, I get to actually pour some hot coals on their head. It's a good thing. It's biblical. Well, we could chuckle at that and think to ourselves, no, that's not what it is. Because, But what it is is that if someone is seen, say like a neighbor that was feuding with one another, and you see that their fire went out in their home, which was a way of them to warm their house in the winter season. That neighbor would put coals in, in some form of a holder of sorts, like a basket, or, or whatever the case may be. It would be some sort, some sort of holder that they would put the hot coals in, and what they would do is they would put it on top of their head, holding it on top of their head um, to... to uh, bring it over to wherever they were taking it without spilling it, and then they would take it off of their head and place it on the head of the person they were giving it to. Okay, and and it was on their head to warm their home, which was a gift from an enemy neighbor, perhaps. And that's what the Lord was saying. That's what that's what the the Apostle Paul was saying in the book of Romans. It wasn't dumping hot coals on them. It was actually giving them the coals in order to warm themselves with when they had run out. And so the Lord was about action versus words, which is what love is, right? And, and looking at what the Lord is teaching us is the ability to do this in truth with the depth of one's heart. See, many can follow the actions of someone. Many people feed the poor, okay? Uh, people go and build houses for someone. Uh, people get clothed all the time. But when someone is willing to do something for an enemy in the truth of one's heart, that is one who has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. And, and that is what God sees and blesses. It's amazing when large multitudes came to Jesus and they asked Him for healing. See, the majority of them were not friends and followers of his. Many became that, though, when they seen his heart and his loving will to help them. But this instruction, what this is, is a true test. If we examine ourselves in a time of desperation, we would always want a helping hand. And and to see it from an enemy is is a shock, maybe, at first. But more importantly, it's a heart changer. But regardless of what happens... See, the Lord is pleased and and will bless us when this action is taken. Some hearts are hardened. Uh, 
and would not care about what is done for them, but that's fine because it was done in the name of the Lord, and the glory goes toward the Lord. It doesn't matter anymore what the enemy might think, but we do it in the name of the Lord. We do it in his glory. And most times, out of none, if you will, the results normally turn back from the hatred to that of a liking or maybe even a love. We've seen it and heard it before. Why would you do this for me after everything I've done? I do it in the name of the Lord. And deep down, I love you. And that changes everything. And if it doesn't right then and there, then Lord willing, may it down the road. But it's amazing to see it from the Lord's lenses, from His lens, from His eyes versus our clouded vision. We see what we want to see. But you see, the Lord, again gives us a, a better vision through his vision. And, and as we observe, we're going to continue looking at verses 37 uh, through 42. And it says, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite! First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. So again, this is amazing in the amount of truth and wisdom that we have been given so far. We've not even scratched the surface of our Lord's instruction, and yet we've gotten so much already. See, we've all been taught to treat others as we want to be treated. But the Lord gives it to us in a better, deeper instruction. Many have said, I do that, but I'm still mistreated by people. And again, and the blessings of that will be from God regardless of their actions. See, the Holy Spirit's abilities of changing one's heart is beyond our understanding. And though we're not there yet, okay, but when Jesus was on the, on the cross, we remember those who have read the Gospels and his time on the cross, he was being mocked by two other men, by him, on each side of him. There was one on each side of him that was convicted of crimes, and actually, this is one of my favorite, my favorite times and my favorite uh, verses in the Bible. Okay, when Jesus was up on the cross, it was noted that these two other guys that were next to him were mocking him on the cross. Well, if you truly are who you say you are, get down, get down from there and have us get down as well. Okay, and so on and so forth. And we don't know what else they were saying, but they were up there together for some time. But, see, the Holy Spirit must have gotten a hold of one of them. Because he felt conviction and said, wait a minute, we deserve to be up here, but he doesn't. He's done no wrong. And it says that he said to him, he says, Father, 
will you remember me when you enter into your kingdom? And the Lord said to him, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, you will be with me today in paradise. In that right there was the game changer. Not this the game changer, but the life and the soul changer. For this man who died on the cross that day, as the Lord said, Today you will be with me today in paradise. Why? Because he had a change of heart. Number two, most importantly, he had a belief in who the Lord was. Yeah, he was mocking him at first, but something came over him. And he realized who was next to him. See, the Holy Spirit took the plank out of the eye of the man next to him on the cross. And he was able to see exactly who was there next to him as Christ spoke in many parables. See, he did it to give an understanding of what he was trying to say. Okay, can the blind lead the blind? Well, that's obviously a no. But it's simple to understand, yet it's brilliant in its context. Is he reminded us that a disciple is not above his teacher? But if perfectly trained, he will be like his teacher. Well, I suggest we be careful who we learn from. Because too often people uh, who are Christians became a, become a product of their teacher or they become a product of their church rather than a product of Christ. And after all, we declare, we declare the title of Christian. Okay, Christ in, Christ in, Christ, and then last three letters, I-A-N, E-N, or I-N, which means Christ-like, or, or party, or like a party of. We belong to. Okay, in Roman armies, some people were known as Caesarians, because they were of Caesar. I say that, you know, I remind people that I was born in, in the state of California, which makes me a Californian. And even though I live somewhere else, I live in a different state, that doesn't change anything. Okay, I'm still a Californian even though I am dwelling somewhere else. You're a Christian, well then you are of Christ. And through the most well-known pastor teachers, uh, the most well-known scholars, the best learned from Christ. And, and it's funny, as some years back I was in a pastor's conference and uh, my pastor was one of the speakers. Uh, and I grew up in that church from, oh, I don't know, six to seven years old. And I'm right now, as we speak, I'm 41 years old. And I attended a conference in my home church just recently. Uh, but when this was a, a couple years back, I was at a um, pastor's conference and I was talking to an usher. And uh, this usher, usher asked me w which church I attended, and I told her who my pastor was. And she got all bright-eyed and said, oh, wow, you must be really good then. And I simply said, well, I'm only as good as the word. Okay, and, and plus, I've learned from others as well. See, I was given teachers that taught the Bible for what it was saying. And second, I learned from men who lived, who lived behind closed doors as they would behind a pulpit. I mentioned the Apostle Paul, and he started a church in Corinth, Greece. And unfortunately, he had his work cut out for uh, for him over there. But at one point, it was said that in, in the book of Corinthians, he was getting on their case because he found out that there were many people in there who were claiming to be of Paul. There were people uh, claiming to be of Peter. 
There were people who were claiming to be of a guy named Apollos, who was a very um, influential person as well, that Paul had a part of teaching. And that there were some of you who claimed to be of Christ. Well, Paul set them straight. See, as teachers, we're to teach what Christ did. And I will never, I will never forget what someone said to a pastor once. Somebody came up to a pastor that I heard speak once and said that, you know what, you better be right. You better be right with everything that you are telling me because I am believing everything that you're teaching. And, and so may we be careful. May we be very careful of who we're learning from or who we're listening to. Because danger has come into play by who we learn from. There is no danger in our Lord Christ. Only blessings. Let's continue in verses 43 to 49. And it said, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor, nor do they gr- gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat uh, vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat violently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. You know, in the other parables Jesus gave, it was parables of judging ourselves first, as in the speck in someone's eye versus the plank in our own. We see the observing of a fruit tree. And God gave an interesting instruction to the Israelites in the book of Deuteronomy, who said, never take an axe to a fruit-bearing tree. And and of course, it's beneficial, which is what Christ wanted us to be in the form of a fruit-bearing tree. And, And like a good tree, its life depends on its roots. Okay, It also depends on getting watered and also living within light. In order for it to flourish, a fruit tree will not survive in darkness, nor will we. But as he questions those who call him Lord, yet they disregard him as the Lord, he was able to determine those who honor him with their lips, yet their hearts are far from him. Jesus gave a final parable in this chapter in regards to those building a house. And and how true it is in regards to building on a foundation strong versus that of no foundation. See, I heard someone speak about a problem with cracks in their walls one time after the walls were replastered in his house over and over. Okay, and as he finally got somebody else to come in there and replaster the walls, he took the time to observe. He took the time to observe the setup and everything, and he was able to figure out why the walls around him were cracking. And he said to him, this isn't a matter of replastering. This wasn't a matter of the work that was done. What the problem is, is the foundation of your house is, is causing cracks in your walls. 
And if your house is not built on a good foundation, then everything is going to basically start to have problems somewhere. Okay, with that, the things like storms hit your house. Well, some stand, others fall. And with that, it's the same thing when Christ is in the house or whether he is not. You will see the results of the storms in life. Obeying God is like building a house on a strong foundation when storms come, okay? To some, when life is calm, our foundations don't seem to matter. But whether there's a storm or not, Christ Jesus must be in the house. He must design your blueprints. And better yet, he must have been the builder of the house if it's going to stand. Now, as for the house that we should really make sure that is that Christ is dwelling and building inside of us, living in our hearts. When I observe lives of people who are of Christ, I definitely see light that I, that I cannot see anywhere else. And for good reason. Because what he offers is that of eternal. Eternal life, eternal joy, eternal existence with God is all done through our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. Everything else is a temporal thing. And so, we know, when we stop and think that time is, is definitely short, some unfortunately shorter than others, but time is definitely something of importance because it's something we all have in increments. But if there's something we're all going to have in the form of time one day, it's going to be plenty of time in eternity, and it's going to be in one of two places. And where Christ, and why Christ came, was to make sure that one of the eternal places was spent with him in that of paradise, like he told that thief on the cross next to him. Well, the, the mission of a voice in the distance, in the form of teaching the word of God, and teaching the entire word of God for what it's saying and not for what I want it to say or what anybody else wants it to say, but to simply teach it for what it is saying is the mission. And more importantly, the mission is to bring others into a relationship with our Lord and Savior. Because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed five minutes sometimes. So, if you're hearing this, and if you want to meet the one who spoke these words 2,000 years ago, I want to give the opportunity to introduce you to him, because see, he's been waiting for you. You are a child of his that he's been waiting to come home. And he wants you home with him when your time is up. And I want you and I to be able to be there together with him. So if you feel led, I want you to, to receive Him. How do I do that? We say a simple prayer together of receiving our Lord as, as Lord and Savior. A prayer of repentance and receiving. And I want to offer that right now, if you're willing to pray this prayer with me, to receive Christ in your heart. Please pray with me if you feel led. Dear God, please forgive me, Lord. Please forgive me of all of my sins. I confess to you that I am a sinner 
And I ask, Lord, for you to wash me of all of my sins. And I thank you for dying on that cross for me, Lord, and my sins. And Lord, I receive you now as my Lord and Savior. And Lord, may you receive me into your kingdom, Lord, as one of your children. As Lord, as I love you, and I praise you, and I thank you for having me, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, again, what a joy it is to be doing what we're doing together. And I pray that we'll be together. So I want to invite you to continue to follow along. If you've received the Lord as Lord and Savior, well, I want to congratulate you. And second, I want to invite you and challenge you to continue to walk, to continue to learn, continue to do, to do His work, to do His will. And again, prayers are with you. And may God always be with you as you draw near to Him. May God bless you.